Turn to Ezekiel, please, in chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. I actually want to read all of chapter 2 and chapter 3. Ezekiel chapters 2 and 3. I know that's a long reading, but dare I say, it is the Word of God. Upon finding that, would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we come to this which is your word and I pray that you would draw our attention to it, cause our minds to be fixed upon it, our hearts uh, to desire it. Father, I pray that by your spirit then it would have that perfect work in us that it's been designed to do before the creation of the world. So Father, please now I pray, work your word in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 1, And he, that he there is God, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stupid. I'm sorry, stubborn, not stupid. That too, I suppose, but I kind of have my own little version here. And stubborn, I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. And be not afraid of their words, or dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was on it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to too many, not too many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you, but the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. And it was the sound of wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of the great earthquake. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. 
And it came, and I came to the exiles of Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal. And I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak, war- nor, nor speak to warn the wicked man from his wicked way, in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your, your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he had, has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me, and he set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. Now, I read all of that because it hangs together. There's one theme here, and it is this, that God is calling Ezekiel to fearlessly proclaim his word. That God is calling Ezekiel to fearlessly proclaim his word uh, to these particular people. Now, it's difficult, I think, in fact impossible, at least I hope impossible, for us to read such a passage without thinking, how does this apply to me? What's the wisdom of God here for me? Because you see, Ezekiel's circumstances, Ezekiel's calling, were unique in some sense to him. Uh, you, you remember, perhaps if you were here last week, some of the circumstances that are around the writing of this prophetic book. Uh, they describe Ezekiel's prophecies uh, to the exiles primarily in Babylon. You remember that he begins this setting here in uh, 593 uh, B.C., and Ezekiel has been in exile for five years. You might remember that in 605 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, defeated the Egyptians and therefore uh, was able to uh, have Judah as one of its tributary nations to pay tribute to it. And at that time, in 605 B.C., uh, the uh, first exile from Judah, southern kingdom, to Babylon began. And it was Daniel and his friends that went during that one. And then in 598 B.C., uh, Ezekiel went and his friends, and now he begins to write, or this writing begins to note the time in 593 B.C., which is after 598 B.C., because we're doing the B.C. thing. Right? So it's going the wrong way, actually the right way, but I think you know. So 593 B.C., here he is, and God's calling him now to speak to this group of of, of of Israelites from the southern kingdom from Judah 
And he's speaking to them before Jerusalem is actually destroyed, which doesn't happen until 587, 586 B.C., so it's got another six or seven years to go. And so he's going to speak this word, and he's calling Ezekiel out. Now, now those are unique circumstances. You and I aren't Ezekiel, and that's, uh, for me, that's a good thing. I wouldn't want to be Ezekiel. Uh, if you read about how he lives, I'd just assume, you know, have a dull, boring life. But Ezekiel is called by God in a unique way, in a unique setting. But, I think, there's wisdom from God here because we recognize that we too has been, have been called individually and most especially corporately as the body of Christ, commissioned by Him to speak His truth in the context of this generation, in the context of our own culture and throughout the world. Ezekiel was called to speak truth in the context of where he is. We're called to speak truth in the context of which we are, and thus we share that. So my question then as we work through this is what's the wisdom of God for us from Ezekiel's own calling and commission? What can we learn about that? Now we notice in his particular circumstance at least that he was being called into a very, very difficult situation. Notice chapter 2 and verse 3. And he, that is God, said to me, Son of man... Interesting expression. Jesus picks up that expression, Son of Man, to use about himself. It means minimally that you're just a human being. You have the characteristics of, son of, a human being. So you're a human being just like the rest. But when it seems to be used of Ezekiel, and, and Daniel uses it later, Jesus picks it up for himself, there's this sense of being God's messenger, God's man, God's person in the midst of that particular situation. So, And he said to me, Son of Man, I send you to the people of Israel to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Uh, so he's saying, Listen, remember, Ezekiel, their history. They've never been all that open to me, God says. They've, they've, they've always rebelled against me. And I don't know what Ezekiel was doing at this moment in time. I don't know how long this took. But if his mind began to rehearse the history of the Israelites, he could see that. Even if he just took from when they left Egypt and, 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 and he could see the rebellion, the grumblings as they went across the wilderness. When there was no food, they grumbled. No, no water, they grumbled. When they were disappointed about anything, they grumbled against, against God. There was the golden calf incident and their impatience. And thus they decided to worship God in their own way. And thus the golden calf. He might remember the time during the judges when, when we read that every man did what was right in his own eyes. He might remember about the time when they wanted a king other than God to be their king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. So they wanted a king, so God gave them a king. And eventually, through those kings, came alliances with, with foreign governments and alliances and, and, and trust and dependent upon other powers in order to protect Israel. And it all led, of course, to their own demise. They began to take foreign spouses, foreign wives, and they began then to incorporate foreign gods into their own worship. They began to follow the, 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 the lives of, of, of these foreign pagan nations, even to the point of offering their own children as sacrifices to these foreign gods that, that permeated the culture and thus we found Israel to, the, was to be a compassionate and just nation being unjust and, and not showing mercy even to their own people just like the pagan nations were not merciful to their own people and we saw in, and they would see injustice and dishonesty and a lack of integrity permeate their own culture all because they rebelled against God and so Ezekiel says okay this is the group of people to whom I'm going. Well, God goes on in verse 4 and he says, The descendants also are impudent and, and stubborn. Um, they're, they're obstinate. Literally, it simply means hard of face. 
referring to the kind of person who could stand there and do evil right in front of you and not change their facial expressions at all. Know you're watching them and simply not care. See, they, as Jeremiah has said, they no longer know how to blush. They just simply do evil as if evil is good and they do it right in the presence of God as if it doesn't matter. And he said they're stubborn, that is, they're, they're firm of heart is the literal uh, notion there. That is to say that the inclinations of their heart, the affections of their own heart are just stuck and stubborn and they're not going to change at all. So he says, listen, listen, I'm going to send you to a group of people who have a history of rebelling against me. I'm going to send you to a group of people who... Um, do evil in my sight and don't care, I'm going to send you to a group of people whose ways aren't going to change because their hearts are hard. I don't know, but perhaps he began to think of Pharaoh in that context. Maybe even to think through the psalm, Psalm 106, for instance, if you want to read something this week about the ancient Israel. It's a psalm about God, uh, about the history of ancient Israel. And there's one refrain that's stated two or three different ways, two or three different times throughout that psalm, but it always goes like this. They forgot the Lord their God and remembered Him not. They just lived as if God did not exist. And so, Ezekiel's getting the picture. Okay, that's the group of people to whom I'm going. Not a fun crowd. Thus says the Lord God, and whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, he says in verse 6, then don't be afraid of them, nor afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Which means, he's saying, listen, the words that they use, don't be afraid of them, even though they're going to be cutting and sting. Even though they're going to speak to you in ways that will hurt more than any other words could possibly hurt. Don't be afraid of them. And he goes on to say, do not be afraid of their words, nor dismayed at their looks. Meaning, don't allow their looks to shatter you. They're going to look at you, Ezekiel, in such a way that it's going to suck the very confidence right out of you. They're going to look at you like you're an idiot. They're going to look at you like you're a demon. They're going to look at you like you hate them. But don't let that discourage you. Ezekiel had teenagers he'd be fit for this <laughs> just kidding but you know the look parents anyway um, but that's Ezekiel that's the situation in which uh, he's going and it even gets worse in chapter 3 he says and, and he said to me son of man go to the house of Israel speak my words to them for you're not sent to a people of foreign speech or in hard language but to the house of Israel uh, not to many peoples of foreign speech in a hard language whose words you cannot understand surely if I sent you to such they'd listen to you he's saying listen you're going home buddy you're talking to your relatives you're talking to the people of your own nation if I sent you off to another nation that didn't know you you'd be called a consultant and they'd pay you and they'd listen to everything you said. But I'm sending you home. I'm sending you to this group of people that have been exiled with you. And they're not going to remember. Ezekiel wouldn't know this, obviously, but we remember the words of Jesus when he went home. And he said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives, in his own household. They wouldn't even listen to Jesus at home. He said, So you're going home in the midst of all this 
they're going to think you're the rebel. They're going to think you're against them because you're not willing to join in with them. And then he says in verse 7 of chapter 3, But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me. He said, listen, they won't hear you, no matter what you say. It'd be like telling a salesman uh, before he goes out on a sales call, now remember, the customer you're calling on won't buy anything. But go. Or a coach being hired and the athletics director saying, now let me just tell you, this team won't do anything you say, but coach them. Right? He's saying, I want you to go, but they won't listen to you. And the reason they won't listen to you is because God says, they won't listen to me. All the house of Israel have a hard forehead, as he puts it in this version, and a stubborn heart. Ezekiel ponders all that. And then notice in chapter 3 and verse 14, we read, The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Ezekiel began to think about what he was up against. But the calling of God was so strong on him. But yet deep in his guts, he knew he wasn't able. He knew that it was going to be difficult. He knew that it was going to be hard. And you may get this sense perhaps that he's thinking, God, why did you do this to me? I, I was having a nice time in Judah. I was growing up in a priestly family. I'd make full priest someday. You know? And then I get exiled to Babylon and that's not so bad, really. But now, but yet the hand of the Lord is upon him and no doubt too welling up within him is this sense of anger against his own people really a righteous anger saying how could you be like this to God and it said he sat there for a week overwhelmed just overwhelmed and not only that then finally in the midst of all this the responsibility on Ezekiel was huge this passage that speaks of Ezekiel being a watchman in Israel is just amazing. Because there we see that the responsibility that he had was, was almost incomprehensible to us. Because he says, listen, if, if, if I give you a word of warning to a wicked man and you don't warn him, I'm going to punish him for his sins. But since you haven't warned him, his blood's going to be on your head. What a responsibility in the midst of all that. Now, you and I, I think, have it a bit easier than Ezekiel did in his particular circumstances. You remember the words of Jesus when he looked out over the crowd and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, he said, harassed and helpless. And he urged us to pray. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out harvesters. Why? Because the harvest is white, it's ready. So you get this sense that for us, we have it a bit easier. Not everybody will listen, but at least we have this anticipation that some will. And he gives this commission and he says, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. So you now go and make disciples of every nation, baptize them, teach them, and so forth and so on. But you get a sense from that because of the authority of Jesus and his presence with us that, that, that something positive is going to happen. We're just not going to go out and, and, and have the same ministry that Ezekiel had, did and no one will listen. But yet still in the midst of all this, I think there's some similarities. For instance, in Matthew in chapter 10, Jesus levels with his disciples very honestly 
Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Jesus says this, he's just about to send the twelve out to do their first bit of missions. And he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, of course, sheep have a pet name. I mean, wolves have a pet name for sheep. They refer to them as lunch. Okay? It's not a good thing if you're a sheep to find yourself in the midst of wolves. So that's what Jesus is saying, though. He's saying, picture this. When you go out, you're going to be like a sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent of dove. Beware of men. Well, to whom is he sending them? Not literal wolves, but people. Beware of them, he says. For they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues and so forth. Verse 19. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious about what you're to speak. Verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and his children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You can't even trust your own family all the time. But the one who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. But if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is Satan essentially, how much more will they malign those of his household? He's saying, listen, when you go out it will be difficult. Now we, I suspect, have had it relatively easy but when you walk through the book of Acts and you walk through the history of the church and even as you consult people in our own um, century, our own context, our own generation, we find many who have suffered deeply for the name of Christ. Some of you perhaps, especially I know and I would imagine in the context of your own families as you come to faith yet no one else does. And what that really means in the context of all of that. You know what Jesus is speaking about. And then, of course, that classic chapter in John chapter 15 and verse 18 as Jesus is speaking with his disciples about their calling, about what their life will be like. And he says in verse 18 of John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the words of God to Ezekiel when he said, They won't listen to you because they don't listen to me. Well, now Jesus is turning that and saying, the reason they hate you is because they hate me. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will also keep yours. Chapter 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. You see, they'll even think they're, they're pleasing God by coming against those who, trust, those who trust in Christ. Again, we can see this as you read through the book of Acts. We can see the persecution that came on the early church. We can see even in the life of the Apostle Paul how he describes his life from time to time. For instance, and you don't need to turn to these. I'll just do a few quickly. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, uh, in verse 8, he says, We don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And that affliction was because of what he was trying to do, tell people about Jesus. He says, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It was that difficult. It was that oppressive against us. And you remember as we worked our way through Philippians some time ago, 
Uh, in Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 17, he described his life like this. He said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. He's saying, I'm, I'm like a, 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 a drink offering going over the altar, going over this flame, being burnt up just for you. Uh, in Second Timothy in chapter 3, in verse 12, the apostle uses these words that... Uh, are difficult for us in our context to sometimes understand. But true no less, he says, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, that's what you're in for, what you're facing down the road if you're a follower of Jesus. Not completely unlike what Jesus was saying, or what God was saying to Ezekiel. And then the apostle writes to Timothy this, he said, for the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will ac- accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. Saying, listen, even in the context of your ministry, even in the context of the church, there will be uh, people who won't listen. They'll want to listen to something else other than the truth uh, which he would say, I've given you. A difficult thing. We know about the hardness of people's hearts. The Apostle writes to the church in Ephesus and he says that prior to conversion, people are actually dead in their transgressions and sins. And we know death is a separation from life. And when one is separated from life, one is hopeless and one is helpless. And that's the world to which we go. We know in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 18, we read that, that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, 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 but Jesus, that's what we're telling them about. I mean, we're telling them about this thing that to them is just foolishness. What hope really have we? And then just to summarize, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death to other a fragrance from life to life. And then he asked the logical question, seeing that that's his calling. He's supposed to smell like Jesus. He's supposed to smell like Jesus to the point that those who aren't going to believe will, will understand that they're, they're, they're condemned and those who are will understand that they come to life. And so he asked the logical question then. He said, who is sufficient for this? That is, who can do this? That's the question. Who's sufficient for this? Was Ezekiel sufficient for this? How is it that he's going to go into this situation and have any hope at all that even he will survive or that he will be able to maintain faithfulness in the midst of that calling? Well, here's his confidence and his hope. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, and he, God, said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. Now I find this just ironic that God would call Ezekiel son of man, meaning you're just a human being. You're just like all the others. And then he would tell Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to me, those ones just like you, but you're going to listen to me. And we have to ask, 
How's he going to listen to them and the other people aren't going to listen to them? How ironic to tell a person to go to other people who won't listen to listen and go tell them what you hear. So one time I read a book called How to Read a Book. Uh, it's a great book, by the way, written by Mortimer Adler. If you haven't read it, you should. It's a wonderful book. But I always found it interesting to have to read a book about how to read a book. But how else could you... Well, But what makes Ezekiel able to hear is not Ezekiel, but the Spirit of God. You see, it's the Spirit of God who comes upon him and gives him ears to hear. It's the Spirit of God that comes upon him and enables him to, to hear, you see. That's the power of God's Spirit. You might remember a couple of weeks ago as we were finishing Philippians, I spoke about the fact that God's Word is a means of grace. God's Word is the, is the conduit through which grace comes to us. Grace to bring life, grace to empower us to live. The Word of God brings grace to us. And we went through a litany of passages, uh, Deuteronomy 8.3 Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live upon the word of God. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 47 uh, These words are not idle words for you. These words are your life. Uh, Joshua eight. Joshua, don't let the words of this law depart from your life, but meditate upon them day and life. Why? Because they'll bring ultimate life. They'll bring prosperity. Uh, to you. You could read Psalm 19, which tells us that the Word of God is able to make us wise. You could read Psalm 119, which is a, a whole huge passage about the value and the beauty of the Word of God. You can remember that Paul, as he leaves the church, the elders of Ephesus, he says, I commend you to this Word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. The very Word of God. You might remember Romans 10.17 where the Apostle writes that faith, the grace of faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. You might remember uh, Hebrews in chapter 4 in verse 12 that tells us the Word of God is, is, a, is a sword. It's alive. And it's, it's like a two-edged sword that, that cuts right where it needs to cut. You might remember Peter as he, he says to us, but you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, the living and enduring Word of God. The Word of God spoken to us brings life. When given life by the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to receive this, then we have ears to hear and this Word takes root in our very lives. We know that when Jesus was talking about being born again, He said that you know no man can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How is one born again? By the Spirit of God who changes, who works in our hearts. And thus, as the Spirit of God comes upon Ezekiel, He, he grants to him grace to be able to hear, to be able to listen, to be able to embrace the very Word of God. In fact, so much so, notice in chapter um, 2 and verse 8. He says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now, Ezekiel's life was weird, and this begins some of the weirdness. Verse 9, And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, 
a scroll of a book was on it and he spread it out to me and it had writing on the front and on the back and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woes and he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. And so he was to eat this very word. He was to take it in and he was to take it to his own heart and all this because the Spirit had come upon him. And when he did that, and it's difficult to know, is this a vision Chances are it's a real scroll. And you know, when we were all little, we ate paper. This was probably leather. He ate it by faith, by the Spirit, and he ate it. And even though it was words of lamentation and mourning and woe, it was sweet in his mouth because it was the very Word of God. So it's by the Spirit, you see. And thus it shouldn't surprise us that right after Jesus tells them that he's sending them out as sheep among wolves, he tells them that the Holy Spirit is coming to fill them. It shouldn't surprise us that before Peter preaches the great Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, hey, wait until you've received power from on high because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and so forth and so on. And then we see in Acts chapter 2 this great boom of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and Peter preaching this great sermon of the Word of God and it taking root in the hearts and the minds of people so that 3,000 people get saved. And we see then finally Paul summarizing it up in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, in verse 10 or verse 9. But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, and even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul is saying, when he talks about spiritual truths, he's not talking about that which is ooky spooky. He's talking about the Word of God that's being spoken and heard with the blessing of God's Spirit. So Ezekiel can hear because the Spirit of God is upon him. We have heard because the Spirit of God has come upon us. And he knows now, we know now that as we go out, we go out in the Spirit of God in power with one thing that he gives us, which is the same thing that he gave to Ezekiel, and that is his word. See, if I could put it this way, all Ezekiel had was the word of God. That's all he had. It's clear he ate it. He was to listen to it. He was to receive it in his heart. He was to memorize it. God says, when I speak, you speak. In fact, one of the most astounding things here is at the very end, God tells Ezekiel this. He says, go shut yourself up within your house. This is in chapter 3. The end. And he said, and, and you, son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you and you shall be bound with them so that you can't go out among the people. And I'll make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth so that you, will, you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. A very bad talk with a ton of top of your roof of your mouth. It really doesn't work very well. 
But he said, that's what I'm going to do to you. Why? Verse 27. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord. He said, Ezekiel, here's your calling. You're going to go out to a rebellious people who are stubborn and won't listen. You have my spirit, and all I want you to give them is my word and nothing else. In fact, this scroll that I gave you to eat has writing on both sides. Scrolls in those days never had writing on both sides. It's as if to say, Ezekiel, you don't add anything to this word. I've taken up all the space. You can't fill up anywhere, not in the back, not in the front. It's all my words. In fact, I'm going to hold your tongue until it's ready to, till I'm ready to have you speak. And then what I want you to speak is my word. So what's that mean for us? Well, it means that we, unlike Ezekiel, we have great hope because we have the Spirit of God and His Word. And in the context of the life of our church, we have always said and will continue to say that this ministry rises and falls on the power of God's Word working by His Spirit to change people's lives. And if that doesn't work, we're sunk because it's all we have. But it's enough, isn't it? It's enough for you as God's Word working by His Spirit came to you. It implanted this seed, this living and enduring Word of God in you, enabling you to believe. And that's what we have. So we don't need to trick anybody. We don't need to dumb it down. We don't need to play bait and switch. You know? Poor Ezekiel. He walked into this group of people and he was going to tell them that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and judgment was going to come on the land. First 32 chapters are judgment chapters. We're not going to go one by one necessarily. But the first 32 chapters are judgment chapters. And I don't think Ezekiel was able to say, well, how can I make this more, oh, palatable for them? Maybe we could have a burger bash, get some clowns. No. Just go with this word, Ezekiel, and trust me. Trust my power that it's the truth that you can, they'll, they'll hear it as I want them to hear it. Because you see, Ezekiel, whether they hear it or not, all I'm concerned about is that they know that a prophet has been among them. And whether they hear it or not, Ezekiel, this isn't about your glory, this is about my glory. And we know that to be true, don't we? We know that when we go and we have an opportunity to share the truth and share the very word of God with people from beginning to end, we must talk about their sin, but yet we also must talk about the wonderful love and mercy and grace of God. And when you put all that together in the context of the cross of Christ and His wonderful invitation to believe and to receive life, and then you see it right before your very eyes, whether it's a three-year-old and three-year-old Sunday school, whether it's a ten-year-old or a fifteen-year-old, or, or, or whether it's uh, someone you work with, or whether it's someone in the neighborhood, or whether it's the course of someone just coming and coming and coming. People always ask me, Bill, how do most people get saved in the life of Grace EPC? And you know how it works generally is that you all go out there and talk to people. Real fancy. And then you bring them here. And we all talk to them. And over the course of time, as the Word of God just rushes over them, some 
by the Spirit of God, quickening, enlivening their hearts, believe. And at the end of that, we don't sit around and pat ourselves on the back and say, didn't we do a good job? Because the job was impossible for us. We worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grant to us this grace of confidence in your word and the power of your spirit. We thank you for our brother Ezekiel and the difficult task that he had before him and yet how he was able to take it up by faith with your word and spirit to accomplish the work to which you called him at that moment in history. And we thank you that his word, the word that you gave to him and that he spoke is true and we see it for it happened and it continues to happen. As the truth of your word rings forth, may we be a people of one book, one Holy Spirit, to speak the truth in love without any hesitation, without any abbreviation, but to speak the truth in love in the context of our own generation that we might see people's ears opened, hearts quickened, tongues loosened to confess that Jesus is Lord. And that would be to your glory. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction <clears throat> as you do. Uh, I remind you that elders will be available to pray, so please take advantage of that. They'll be in the office area. I also remind the men of the church, sign up for the men's retreat. Write your cards to Joey and to Nate as well. The response to the benediction is praise be to God, amen. If you understand about the wonder of this word and spirit at work, especially in your own life, and the confidence it gives that you may share it to those around you, then the response to this benediction really is praise be to God. Amen. Please receive this as God's benediction now. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenants, equip you with every good thing for doing his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. Amen.